So um, I was asked to give a talk for the holidays um, because it's the holidays. <laughs> so it seemed to make sense to give a holiday talk. And um, I thought I would start by jogging your memory a little bit. I want to remind you of what life was like a hundred years ago. So this is some statistics. Somebody sent this to me on the web. They said a hundred years ago in the United States, the average life expectancy in the U.S. was 47. 47 years old. And that only 14% of the homes in the U.S. had a bathtub. And 8% of the homes had a telephone. And a three-minute call from Denver to New York cost $11. And that, that becomes more uh, relevant when you hear that the average wage in the U.S. was $0.22 cents an hour. And the average U.S. worker made between two and $400 a year. So that was an expensive call from Denver to New York. There were 8,000 cars in the U.S. and only 144 miles of paved roads. This is 100 years ago. The maximum speed in most cities was 10 miles an hour. <laughs> and people were complaining about cars already. I just want you to know that. Most, uh, more than 95% of all births in the U.S. took place at home. 90% uh, of all U.S. doctors had no college education. And uh, it says instead they attended so-called medical schools, many of which were condemned in the press and government as substandard. Most women washed their hair once a month using borax or egg yolks for shampoo. There was no Mother's Day a hundred years ago. There was no Father's Day a hundred years ago. Only 6% of all Americans had graduated from high school. Marijuana, heroin, and morphine were all available over the counter at local drugstores. <laughs> this is when drugstores were really drugstores, right? <laughs> Back then, the pharmacy Back then, pharmacists said heroin clears the complexion, gives buoyancy to the mind, regulates the stomach and bowels, and is in fact a perfect guardian of health. <laughs> wow. There were about 230 reported murders in the entire USA. I'm not sure why I'm starting with this. Exactly. <laughs> Except that it's a little striking how things change. And it's true, probably not many of us actually remember a hundred years ago, if any of us. But even but but given how quickly things changed in the last hundred years, I think we can all begin to imagine a little bit how how much qu quicker things are moving now, how much things will change in the next hundred years, in the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 
50 years, 100 years. And, you know, sometime, a time, uh, time keeps changing. And by that I mean generally, depending on our age, time goes quicker and quicker. One of the phenomena that most people notice as they age is that not only is there less and less time, which is just right logical, if you're 60, there's left, less time left than if you're 20, at least in our minds, we actually don't know. But it also moves quicker. I remember when uh, Joseph Goldstein turned 55, he said, breakfast comes every 15 minutes after 55. <laughs> But that's how, how quickly everything seems to be happening. That there's a different speed. And of course in our time, in our era, and this high tech and quick and modern and information, everything is happening so quickly. And so one of the things I thought of when I was asked both to teach about the holidays, but also somebody said, well, can you talk about the stress of the holidays? The holidays are stressful. How many people experience the holidays as stressful? Let me get a sense. So, decent amount. I believe one of the reasons that they're stressful is we actually forget what's what they're about. We we actually forget what's important to us or why we celebrate holidays. You know, definitely in the culture. It's so sometimes I actually get surprised. I'm reading the paper, and, and I like to read all different parts of the paper, except mostly not the front page too much. But I like to read the business section and see what the business people are thinking. And there, you know, there was something about, you know, it's always about are people shopping enough? And it's and they're serious. It's serious. Are we shopping enough? If we remember after 9/11. Like that was one of the big things, go shopping, to, to let, let the enemy know that everything's okay. <laughs> okay. God help us. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, really. Uh. And, and, and you know, so much of the holidays ends up getting focused around the shopping rather than the giving, which is what the shopping is actually supposed to be about. And so a little bit, um, I read those things just to remember that, we actually to remind us how much we forget, how much we don't pay attention to what's here, or what we value, or what is unique to our time and our, our lives. Um, that we care about or that we love or, or that's just a kind of amazing. I mean, you know, we can read these figures from a hundred years ago and a hundred years from now maybe somebody will be reading the figures about what our life is like and going, wow, wow, you know, the average CEO only got, you know, however many million. Wow, they would, they would, you know, and oh, they only had one bathroom in most houses then, or whatever, whatever it is. Or people only had, you know, two cars and not ten, or, you know, or they still used gasoline back then, and they didn't know about how to use solar energy to power 
automobiles, or hopefully, or something like that. But it's something about our time and our place and the moment and now. And so, and so what I'm bringing this all around to is mindfulness. What does mindfulness have to do with the holidays? What does it mean to be mindful during the holidays? What does it mean to remember or contemplate what's actually important to us? What is it that we value? And as many of you know, the word that's translated as mindfulness in the Pali is sati. Sati. And mindfulness is a, it's an okay translation. I actually saw somebody, Tanisara Bhikkhu, talking about it, translating it as... A, he said mindfulness was kind of a Christian translation um, that kind of to hold in mind in that way. He thought it was more of a Christian idea. He was, but he was emphasizing the translation of mindfulness as um, to remember, and that's a very traditional way to translate my, uh, sati. Excuse me, sati meaning to remember. That that's the function of mindfulness to remember. And one way we practice sati, or mindfulness, is to first of all remember the present moment. To remember to be here. To remember to feel our bodies. To remember to be aware of what's actually happening now. And that's, that's one of the great and blessed functions of mindfulness. That it helps bring us into the present moment because it values. It says remember. Remember as in if we'd lost a part of ourselves, recollect or remember. If we'd lost an arm and we get it again, we become whole. That when we find ourselves um, grounded, settled, centered, open, present, awake, here and now, we start to become whole. We start to um, heal the dispersion and the fragmentation of not being in the present moment, of being in the past or being in the future or being in our ideas or being in our beliefs or in our imaginings and our fantasies and our projections. And, and instead, let go of all that to remember to be here in, in a more simple way, in a more um, basic way, a more fundamental way. And so it's, it's often the simplicity is what is um, both disarming for people and uh, difficult for people. We're used to much more complexity. We actually believe that things need to be very complex, very complicated, dramatic generally too, instead of the simplicity of being, the simplicity of here and now of just the body, breathing, sitting, feeling, thoughts, emotions, whatever, without being so uh, mesmerized by the whole show, but being open to it, relaxed with it, allowing it to come, allowing it to go, but not, not being swept away from the uh, uh, depth of who we are, from the foundation of who and what we are, from the Buddha-ness of who and what we are. And remember also means to contemplate things, to remember, well, what is it to, to be here and then to use that presence to consider what's important to us, what do we value, what do we love, 
What do we care about? How do we want to be? How do we want to act? You know, if we're not in the present, we're often acting out of motivation that we're not even aware of. We're not even conscious of. We're acting out of some fear or some sense of self that we're, we're not okay or life is not okay or things are a problem. And it, it's common. We do it all the time until we actually get here. Until we actually get present. And even if there's a problem, it's not a problem in the same way when we arrive, when we're present, when we're awake. And so we want to use this remembering or being whole to remember or contemplate or to look at what's important and what's important about the holidays. Because if, we, if we're just acting out of the compulsion of shopping or doing or having to get it done, we'll miss what's important to us, what we value. And it's a really, you know, it's a beautiful word. Holiday comes from holy days. It means holy days. And holy days are very important for human beings. Every culture, every society has holy days. And here we have lots of them. We have Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and um, Solstice and, and, um, and any others you could name that I'm not even naming. It's actually a very significant time of the year, very classical or traditional time of the year to acknowledge the holy because of the um, seasons of nature and the changing from the uh, going into the dark and then the light coming. And it comes from a time before people thought that they conquered nature, right? We live in a illusory time where people actually think they can conquer nature. And we've had, we have a certain amount of control, but we've seen in the last number of years how tenuous that control really is. That actually we're making a mess of it when it comes to trying to deal with nature. We're making a mess of nature itself and nature is rebels. And whether it's with hurricanes or floods or cold or with heat or with drought, nature is not under our control. And there used to be more acknowledgement of that, more um, uh, humility that that provided for us as human beings. It, would give, it gave us a perspective. It gave us a perspective often we don't have when we live in modern life, in cities, uh, in the culture that believes it can control things and control everything. We, we start to miss the holy in our lives. And so holy also means whole, right? Complete. And so part of the practice of mindfulness, this movement towards wholeness, remembering, is partly the way in Buddhism we understand the sacred coming into the world is through our wholeness. That the more whole we are, the more completely we are, the more we fulfill the depth of human potential, the more we become holy from a Buddhist perspective. The more we embody the Buddha in our lives and in our world. 
holy means to set apart to service or worship of God, hallowed, sacred. means spiritually whole or complete or sound, of unimpaired innocence and virtue, pure in heart, godly. And these are all qualities that come when we begin to center ourselves in the present moment. We could say they come, we could say that they start to um, show themselves more fully again after being covered over by the vicissitudes of our life, by the, by the um, compulsions of our society, by the um, um, pains or, uh, or difficulties of our history, the way our hearts get covered or scabbed over because life has suffering. And we're not taught so well how to work with suffering as we grow up. Then mindfulness teaches us how to be with suffering. I was talking, I was on a bike ride today with somebody and we were talking about descending and I was telling him how scared I used to be descending and that I'd gotten much more relaxed, much more comfortable with descending. But he, he was definitely a better descender, so I was learning some stuff from him. And um, uh, he said, oh yeah, you totally have to relax. And I said, yeah, and he, he didn't know much about meditation, but he's a little bit interested. So I said, yeah, that's actually just like meditation. Meditation teaches you how to relax with everything. Even if you're going down really fast, you want to stay present, you want to relax. Even if you're going up really fast, you want to stay present and relax. I'm not talking about on the bike now. I'm talking about in our minds. We want to learn how to stay present when it's difficult, when it's hard, and to relax with the changing nature of our minds and heart so that we, we don't fix it or hold it in one place, but we find the presence that can hold it all, that can be present with it all, that allows it to do what it does, which is everything comes and goes. Everything comes and goes. All our thoughts, all our feelings, all our ideas, all our identifications, it's all coming and going. And we can find something more fundamental than what comes and goes. And this is called wholeness in Buddhism. From Izumi Shikibu, she said, watching the moon and the moon, the full moon in Japanese Zen always is a symbol of enlightenment. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I know myself completely, no part left out. It's her enlightenment poem. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I know myself completely, no part left out. Wholeness, holiness, our being, the sacredness of life, the mystery of life, how it changes from a hundred years ago to now. And it's inhabited by these creatures that we call human beings. All those people who, who didn't even have a bathroom were just like us who never went more than 10 miles an hour in their car, were just like us, living their lives. 
And it's helpful to contemplate our life in the big picture. And so to take time out to take a, the Sabbath is also a holy day. Um, it's a day to contemplate, to step outside the world of our ordinary lives, our ordinary way of being, our ordinary uh, modes of commerce and business and doing, and, and, and just be, and to really touch the beingness of being a human being. So remember, we're not human doings. We're human beings. Can you feel it in yourself here? Even the mind that's thinking about what I'm talking about <laughs> is not quite it. It's part of it, an expression of it. What enlivens you? Look there. Don't try to figure out the talk. What's breathing you? What's beating your heart? What is it to be alive? If these questions aren't part of our holy days, then we will be stressed. Tanisara Bhikkhu likes to translate dukkha, the commonly translated as suffering. He translates it as stress, dissatisfaction, dis-ease. So we have holidays, we have holy days, we have Sabbath. As Abraham uh, Heschel said, he said, the meaning of the Sabbath is to celebrate time rather than space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time, to share what is in e eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. And when we say the creation of the world, we're talking about us, our own creation. So the, you know, one of the more significant holy days we celebrate is the birth of Jesus, right? That's Christmas. So that's the, the basic story, is that this holy person is born. And, you know, I, that's a beautiful story actually, and it's a beautiful teaching. It's a beautiful teaching of love and kindness and um, caring for one's neighbor. But maybe it's not just about Jesus. You know, when my daughter was born, uh, just quite a while ago now, I had a really interesting experience. I was, I went to, you know, we went to the hospital and we had labor and my daughter was born and, um, and it was, it was pretty wild actually. It's like, oh my God, where did, you know, and I saw it happen and I still said, where did this person come from? <laughs> right? It was like, it was just the weirdest thing. All of a sudden there's a person there. I mean, really still it's totally the weirdest thing. You know, and you can see it 
you know, her head coming out and crowning and pushing out and, and then all of a sudden, like, and she's not going away. Was, that was my second thought. <laughs> I'll tell you this little story. Because my mother had been calling up the weeks before and saying, do you want me to come up when the baby's born? And I'm like, no. And I'm, you know, and she's saying, well, you sure you don't want some help when the baby's born? No, no, we'll be fine. And she called a number of times and she was pushing a little. My mother wasn't so pushy. You want me to come up when the baby's born? I'm like, no. The baby's born, I'm like, I'm calling my mother. <laughs> like, oh my God, this baby's not, this baby's like here to stay. <laughs> and it's a person. It's a person, I don't even know this person. <laughs> and it's my baby. It's, you know, our baby. But and that's not the point of the story. That's a little aside. <laughs> but so then, and we were living on Castro Street, and, the, and we were up at the, Frank, at the hospital, I forget what it's called, Davies Hospital. And we were walking back, I was walking back, and <laughs> my wife and, and the baby were still at the hospital, and I was walking back to the house to get some things, you know, after, you know, most of the day in the hospital. And I'm walking down the street, and all I can see is everybody looks like a little baby to me. And I was having a little altered state vision, you know, because I'd had the transmission, right? I'd had the, the Shakti from the, the baby. I'd gotten the, the teaching. And everybody, I could see everybody had been a little baby. So a poem. If in your heart you make a manger for his birth, then God will once again become a child upon the earth. If in your heart you make a manger for his birth, then God will once again become a child upon the earth. This purity, can you remember being born? Anybody here remember that? Some people do, you know. Not anybody here. Can you, can you imagine it? Can you imagine your birth? From stories your mother or father told you, or just anything. Or just, you know, you all kind of know how birth happens, right? Just imagine, you, you came out of somebody's womb. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Who were you then? Were you really your name and your identity and all the things that happened to you? Is that really who you were? But that's who we start to take ourselves to be over the years. And that's part of who we are. But often we forget that purity that is symbolized by the holy birth of Jesus but it's not really so different from our birth. That when we reconnect with our hearts, when we reconnect with our goodness, and of course in Buddhism that's, that's a very traditional understanding of our basic goodness, the basic goodness of our nature, the purity of our nature, the beauty of our nature, the radiance of who and what we are as human beings that gets covered over by these identities and ideas and the history and the 
difficulties and even the good things, it all covers over something at some point. And so a holy day or a holy moment is actually beginning to come in contact with ourselves in a whole way, in a full way, in a complete way. No part left out. And then every day could be a holy day. Any day could be a holy day, right? You know, I don't want to disturb anybody, but the holy days are just made up, right? (laughs) Somebody said, like, this is Christmas, or this is Hanukkah, or this is Kwanzaa, or this is, except the solstice, but even that's debatable. Somebody told me first it was two days ago, and then last night. Then I looked at the moon, it looked totally full tonight. So, I don't, you know, and then somebody said, oh no, the 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 moon calendar has one and the Christian calendar has a different solstice and so it's, it's all getting made up. What are we making up? Why do we need to make it up? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to make it up. Actually, we're making up everything. <laughs> Don't get too nervous, but it's all made up. <laughs> But there's something holy about us. There's something sacred about us, is another way to say it. Something mysterious and beautiful about us, about each of us. So now, I'm going to give you a practice to do it. I'll do it very short because it'll be very uncomfortable. Okay? It's going to be a short, uncomfortable practice. You ready? You have to look around the room for a moment and see the sacredness of at least one other person. Like, take a, go ahead, be shy, that's fine. The mystery is a little shy. But take a look around. Look around. It's good to make eye contact. That'll make you more uncomfortable. <laughs> go ahead, just take a look. Who are these people? Where did they come from? Can you see them as babies? Take a look. Can you see their parents here who made love? Somebody made love. Even if it was bad love, they made love. (laughs) Not only their parents, but their grandparents are here. Taking a look. I know this is a little, we don't usually do this so much, but it's a holiday, so we can do anything. Okay? And then notice how, then, okay, that's enough. <laughs> and then shut your eyes for a minute. And just notice how you feel. How's your heart? How's your breath? What is a breath? Suzuki Roshi used to say, just to be alive is enough. Just to be alive is enough. Because he knew something about the mystery of life, about the magic of life, about the sacredness of human life. And all of this is talked about in Buddhism, not so much as holy or sacred so much. Wholeness is emphasized, but um, as precious that our human birth is a precious gift. 
and it's a gift to us and as we fulfill our potential it becomes a gift to the whole world as we learn to stay present as we learn to be mindful and to begin to center or become whole here so that there's no part left out and our potentiality begins to mature that the depth of our heart which is as deep as the heart of as Jesus the depth of each heart here is as deep as the heart of Jesus the mind that is here is as is a, a, the, the possibility for enlightenment is as enlightened as the Buddha is sitting right here in your seat can you feel that heart and that mind that's right here in your seat and as we mature those capabilities as those potentialities that we have as human beings then our lives become a real gift to the world we start to create a world that is holy and it doesn't have to be such a big deal you know it could be as uh, as um, William Blake said he said to see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower to hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour just to be alive is enough there's those moments when we really see to see the world in a grain of sand one of my friends John Lynch John Lynch is and he's still going as far as I know he's a I, I knew him when I swam in the bay for many years at the South End Rowing Club and he was at that time a retired uh, policeman he said as he put it he said uh, he came over from Ireland and he used to work for a living until he quit and joined the police force mm-hmm. as John's and he used to ride his bike from the sunset down to the South End Rowing Club and then swim a half mile or mile in the bay and then ride home every day and he was 60 back then and he was doing I must have run into him sometimes 75 he was still still doing it and John Lynch I once interviewed him about elder swimmers I was writing something about people who swam in the bay and uh, and he said well the thing about it is you get out in the bay and you feel like a grain of sand on the seashore and you feel like oh you really understand what it is to be here how precious we are and how um, ineffable we are how mysterious we are and that we're all here together we're all grains of sand on the seashore so I thought I would end tonight with the end of the poem Howl and if you don't how many people don't know the poem Howl let me just see yeah, okay so Howl was written 50 years ago when the speed limit was 50 <laughs> or 45 and cigarettes cost 25 cents a pack and gas was even cheaper Actually, it was more than 50. Yeah, no, 50 years ago. That's about right. Pardon? I think it was written in 
I think a little earlier, but some we're close. Okay. Uh huh. So it's and it's a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful Dharma poem. We could just do a night on Howell sometime. It's about Allen Ginsberg um, documenting, first of all, the suffering of his generation. Begins, I saw the best minds of my generation starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn, looking for an angry fix. Angel-headed hipsters uh, looking for the heavenly connection with the ancient starry dynamo of night. I'm, I'm mutilating the poem now a little, but but he talks about people looking for the sacred in America in the 50s and suffering tremendously and being ostracized and hurting themselves or being hurt or or lots of lots of suffering and then he rails in the second part he rails against the 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 forces of Moloch the forces of concrete and and coldness and war and then in the third part it's this beautiful um, song of compassion about his friend Carl Solomon who's in a mental hospital and uh, he, he and each refrain starts with I'm with you in Rockland Carl Solomon I'm with you in Rockland and then he goes on with his poetic words and I'm with you in Rockland I'm with you even though his friend's in the, the mental hospital. And then the last part is called the footnote, that he wrote the poem Howell, and, and then he wasn't satisfied with the ending. And he realized there was more, there was something more he hadn't said. And the footnote begins, holy, 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 the world is holy. The soul is holy, the skin is holy, the nose is holy, the tongue and cock and hand and asshole, holy. Everything is holy, everybody is holy, everywhere is holy, every day is an eternity, every man's an angel. The bums is holy as the seraphim, the madman is holy as you, my soul, are holy. The typewriter is holy. This is before computers, right? The typewriter is holy. The poem is holy. The voice is holy. The hearers are holy. The ecstasy is holy. And then he goes on to talk about his friends. Holy Peter, Holy Alan, Holy Solomon, Holy Lucian, Holy Kerouac, Holy Hunky, Holy Burroughs, Holy Cassidy, Holy the unknown buggered and suffering beggars, Holy the hideous human angels, Holy my mother in the insane asylum, Holy the cocks of the grandfathers of Kansas, Holy the groaning saxophone, Holy the bop apocalypse, Holy the jazz bands, marijuana hipsters, peace and junk and drums, Holy the solitudes of skyscrapers and pavement, Holy the cafeterias filled with millions. Holy the mysterious rivers of tears under the streets. Holy the lone juggernaut. Holy the vast lamb of the middle class. Holy the crazy shepherds of rebellion. Who digs Los Angeles is Los Angeles. It's a little joke in there. 
holy New York, holy San Francisco, holy Peoria, holy Seattle, Paris, holy Tangiers, holy Moscow, holy Istanbul, holy time in eternity, holy eternity in time, holy the clocks in space, holy the fourth dimension, holy the fifth internationale, holy the angel in Malik, holy the sea, holy the desert, holy the railroad, holy the locomotive, holy the visions, holy the hallucinations, holy the miracles, holy the eyeball, holy the abyss, holy forgiveness, mercy, charity, faith, holy bodies, suffering, magnanimity, holy the supernatural, extra-brilliant, intelligent kindness of the soul. Holy the supernatural, extra-brilliant, intelligent kindness of the soul. Let's sit for a minute before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.